Action Church, doing well this morning? Everybody doing okay? Dried off a little bit. Come on here at Winter Park, Sanford, South, Oviedo. Uh, if you're here today, thank you for getting out in the elements, making it to church. If you're at home worshiping right now, you may be smarter than us, but maybe a little less faith-filled in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. We're in, just kidding, just kidding. We are in uh, week two uh, of a series where we're starting off this year with called Too Good to Not Believe. That we serve a God, that we worship a God, that we've gathered here today to, to worship and declare that he's just, he's too good to not believe. And we don't just say it, we don't just read it, we've seen it in our lives, we've seen it in our seats, we've seen it in our scenarios, and we're gonna celebrate that next week at our, our eighth year anniversary, some of the stories that, that God has allowed us to, to be a part of. He's just too good to not believe. Sometimes we doubt that, we we, we don't believe that because we live in a world that oftentimes things are, are too good to be true. Come on, things are too good to be true. Come on, that discount, that, that sale. Come on, we're in Orlando. Anybody ever been to a, a timeshare experience? And I don't, wanna, I don't wanna offend anybody if you own timeshares or you sell timeshares, but come on, oftentimes it is a little too good to be true. I'm gonna get this place one week out of the year every fourth year when it's raining, you know what I mean? Like, it's just too good to be true. You ever been to that Airbnb that said Ocean View? Like what, with a helicopter and binoculars? Like, I can't, like I can't even, I, we're not even in the same state with an ocean, you know what I mean? It's just too good to be true. You've been to the critically acclaimed movie that's the best movie of the year, only to leave thinking not really, you know, criticizing the, the critics of the movie, the restaurants. We live in a world that it's just, it's too good to be true, and so we doubt God. And I wanna take four weeks and share stories in scripture of healings and of miracles and of God showing up and just remind some and reveal to others that we, we serve a God, we follow a God, that he is just too good. He's been too good to, to not believe. Our theme verse is Psalm 23, verse six. It says this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Last week we read it, as we close the service out of the New Living Translation, surely goodness and mercy will pursue me for all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That our God is a, is a great God and our God is a good God. We, we struggle with that because we live in a world that's not only too good to be true oftentimes, we live in a world that loves bad news. But we love some bad news. We love a, a negative story about a situation or a person. We live in a world that loves to tear down. And bad news sells. And so sharing the good news of Jesus, sharing the, the, the positive impact, good, good news oftentimes gets put third or fourth on the list because the world loves bad news. People love bad news, they love to believe the negative because it makes them feel better about themselves and so the enemy spreads bad news and I'm just here to tell you today that the good news of Jesus can and will overcome even the, the worst of situations and I wanna go to a passage in scripture in Acts chapter three and four and share a story today about a need being met, about a man being healed and I, and I want to take that story and apply it to our life and hopefully walk out of here today not focusing quite as much on the bad news around us, but the goodness of God and even the worst of situations. With that context, let's go to Acts chapter three. Acts chapter three, verses one through 11. 
We'll start there. We're gonna read a lot of scripture today. Some of you are gonna hear more scripture today than you've heard in your whole life. Why? Because when I say, when I say too good to not believe, you may think that I'm selling you something. You may think that that's my opinion. You may think that my life is just easier than yours. And I want to show you in scripture that the truth from the word of God, that our God is just, he's just too good to, to not believe. Verse one, Peter and John, they went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. Now, I've been in a lot of church planning, seminars and conferences, done a lot of teaching. Three o'clock service is not what you call prime time, but these guys, they're going to the three o'clock service in the afternoon. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate. So he could beg from the people going in to the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that's important, we're gonna get there, just in the name of Jesus, Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and he, and he helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up and stood on his feet and he began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. The focus of this chapter in Acts chapter three is the name of Jesus. And I need you to know there is power in the name of Jesus. As we read this passage, as we study this story, there is power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the reputation of Jesus. There's power in the influence of Jesus. There is something about the name of Jesus. It is the name above every other name. And there's power in the name. Come on, license and branding. Come on, there's, there's power in, in trademarks. There's power in licensing. When, I, when you hear a slogan about something, it makes you, makes you think about it. I was thinking about this this week and probably just because we were on a church-wide fast that's ending today. Praise God, I love to fast, but I love more when a fast is over. Come on, somebody. Like, I'm just not that spiritual. You know what I mean? Like, this is the best day I've had in a long time. And so as I was thinking about this illustration, I just come coming back to fast food. For whatever reason, I crave the worst foods on a fast, and there's just power in a slogan. There's power in a name. Come on, there's some slogans. Some of them are a little older than others. Maybe, maybe if you're 30 or above, you'll get most of these. The slogan, have it your way. What, what food is that? Have it your way. Burger King. I haven't had Burger King since I was 13 years old, but I could eat a Whopper right now. If somebody brought a Whopper on this platform, we'd have a pause in service. You would watch a grown man eat for about 90 seconds. Come on, here's the next one. Power in a name. I'm loving it. McDonald's. Probably, probably pass on a Big Mac right now, not a big Thousand Island fan. I don't need three buns. You know, I'm trying to watch my waist, but I'm loving it. Come on, run for the border. The old school run for the border is Taco Bell. Man, I would crush a taco right now. Come on, no rules, just right. Outback? G'day, mate. Put another shrimp on the barbie. I could do a shrimp on the barbie or a little blooming onion right now. Come on, somebody. Got my baby back, baby back, baby. Got my baby back, chilies. Baby back ribs, I got my chilies, baby back ribs, barbecue sauce. Finger looking good, eat more chicken, all things that just make us 
salivate, but take us to a place that we know exactly what it, what it means. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's life in the name of Jesus. There's hope in the name of Jesus. When somebody gives you, come on, Peter and John are not operating on their own accord here, their own power. The name of Jesus, when somebody gives you access to their name, access to their likeness, when they, when they give you the authority to use their name, it means something. Come on, you, know, you ever had a relative or a family member or a friend in the police department? You will use their name. <laughs> Sorry, officer. Do you know? And there's a, there's a, there's a lot of things that are, are tough about being a pastor of a fairly large church, but there's some good things, and that is I know a lot of law enforcement. <laughs> I haven't had a ticket in nine years. One, because I obey the law, because I'm very holy. And two, it's like, hey, do you know Chief so-and-so? They're like, yeah, do you? Yeah, no, I can text him or you can text him if you wanna just, either way. But because, but because I'm in relationship with them, I have the ability to use their name in a certain situation. I need to remind somebody today that there's power in the name of Jesus. That's right, that's right. And that if you've believed in him, if you have a relationship with him, he has given you access and authority through his name. There is influence behind the name. There's authority behind the name. There is power behind the name of Jesus. And if you think about it, that is what we're doing. We are in sales and marketing for the best brand that's ever been established. It's not a product that you have to think about. It's not a product that you have to actually sell. All you have to do is just say, see what he has done. There's power in his name because there's power in what he did for you and for me. Peter and John used that name, used that power, used that authority in this story to prove the goodness, the goodness of God. Again, Peter and John were heading into the temple to pray. And three times the Jewish people would have services to pray, 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. Those are some long services. I don't think y'all would go to those. I just really don't. I think that, I think that you just say, that's just not for me. Peter and John are heading in to pray and share, preach to a large gathering that day. Peter and John were on their way to attend a church service, but they allowed themselves to have a divine interruption because there was a need that needed to be met. They interrupted their tradition to reach a person. It's important that they stopped on what they thought was important to meet what God had given them of actual importance. We'll get to that in just a moment. The location of this story that we're reading is at the Temple Mount. It would have had many Jews coming to pray. Thousands actually would have gathered there. And the lame man was placed at the gate beautiful, the east gate. If you remember the brick by brick series, we talked about the gates when Nehemiah came to restore. It was the east gate where, where alms be given to the poor. And it was actually Jewish law that you took care of the poor. If you were walking to the temple to go to pray and to worship, it would have been against the, the Pharisaical law, against the Jewish law to walk by somebody in need. That's what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 15. But you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. This was a law, and the Bible tells us this man, this man had been paralyzed from birth. In fact, the original Greek language says he was paralyzed from his mother's womb, that for 40 years he had, he had never walked. But he had a divine encounter with two believers, with two Christ followers. He had a divine encounter with the power and the presence of God. And 
It changed everything. I want to study this miracle today in chapter three and then crossing over into chapter four. And I want to study this miracle and apply it to our life because I believe there are things in here that God is saying, that he's showing, and that he's still doing in your life, in my life, and in our church that we can learn from here. Here's where it started. Write this down if you're taking notes. This miracle started, it started with meeting a need. It started with meeting a need. Peter and John had no money. They had no resource, they had no grain, they had no food. They were walking to worship and they saw a man who had a need. But they didn't give him what he was expecting. They didn't give him what he thought he wanted, what he thought he needed. They gave him even more than he could ever imagine. Remember last week, God gives us immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. They didn't just give him healing. They gave him a powerful encounter with the presence of God that at the end of it, he didn't just end up walking physically. He ended up walking new spiritually. He didn't just find healing that day in his body. He, he found healing in his spirit and his soul for eternity. His need was met, a need that he had given up on. He had settled for money, he had settled for getting by, he had settled for survival when God still had a plan for his future. And too many of us are asking for, for things just to get by and God is saying, what if you stopped asking for what you wanted for today and you started asking for what you need to be effective for forever? And I'm just here to tell you, there could be a miracle, there could be a, a healing, there could be a supernatural move of God on the other side of your belief, of your faith. And what we see here is oftentimes, Needs are met before any message is preached. We're gonna study this today, that, that Peter and John, they didn't preach at the guy, they didn't yell at the guy, they didn't say, why has this happened? They simply met him where he was and said, what do you, what do you need? He knew what he needed. He needed a relationship with God. I, I wanna read this really quick. I don't wanna mess this part up. The, the, Peter and John had no money to give. Peter performed this miracle, be very clear. Peter performed this miracle through the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name. I just wanna step on some toes today and let you know that you're not a miracle worker. Sir, you, you do not have the gift of miracles. Ma'am, you are not a healer. It's popular in the Pentecostal charismatic church. I have, I have the gift of, you don't have any gifts. You Use the gifts of the Spirit. The nine manifest gifts specifically in 1 Corinthians are owned by the Spirit, but used by people for God's purpose. By the power of the Spirit and in Jesus' name. We're gonna read about this, this whole story. I just need to let you know, when we talk about miracles and we talk about healing, we talk about that, it's not people. People are merely vessels. Remember last week, we are jars. We are instruments of change, but the power does not come from us and the glory does not come to us. Why? Because it's not about us. We are merely a conduit. We are merely a vessel. I didn't get claps first service there either because I'm all, no, 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 no. I don't do pity. Save your pity for somebody else. Peter performs a miracle through the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name. All miracles, all healings, all acts of supernatural things with God are the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name. This is the first miracle post Christ's ascension into heaven. And, and Peter and John, they're, they're the first 
non-prophets to heal in the Bible, the first healing of the early church. God is a God who heals. We believe it, we've seen it. We'll celebrate some more of that next week. They were going to share the gospel with thousands of people, yet they stopped for one man. I let that be a reminder that sometimes we're so busy in our ministry We're so busy in our message. We're so busy in our agenda that we may walk by the main thing. We may miss the main thing for our perception or our idol of ministry. Can you imagine the difference if they just would have walked by and threw some change? And when you hear the end of this story, when you see what God's about to do, you'll realize this wasn't a detour, this was the destination. You'll realize this wasn't a distraction, this was actually the point, that God had to do something small, he had to do something intentional, he had to do something personal before he did something to the multitudes. This wasn't something that was sideways, this was the main point the whole time. It says that Peter, says that he took this man by the hand. And that's important because this man would have been ceremonially unclean. He was lame. In fact, religious leaders, a lot of them would have said that it was the sin of his parents or his own sin that caused him to be lame. So a religious person wouldn't touch him. They would walk by and they would make him feel better. They would throw money because they were obligated, but they didn't actually care about him because they left him right where he was. He says, I'm offering you a hand. Peter didn't give him a hand out. He gave him a hand up. For 40 years, this man had been given handouts and he left him in the same place he'd always been. And that's what happens when churches or institutions just give people a hand out. God is not calling you to give somebody a hand out. He's calling you to give them a hand up. And here's the difference. Here's the difference. God never stopped at social justice. Church, Christians, great Christian organizations, we've settled for social justice, and that is not the end, it's just the beginning. God is not a God of social justice, he's a God of spiritual justice. You'll see in this story that he doesn't just meet a need, he arranges a meeting. That he doesn't just perform a miracle to make this man feel better, he gives him what he needs, and then he uses that miracle to become a message. The difference between spiritual justice and social justice is spiritual justice always provides a next step. And our job is to say, here's the need being met and here's the next step. It doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, have everything, lost everything. If you don't have Jesus, we've wasted our time. So should we give? Should we serve? Should we feed the unsheltered? Should we tutor? Should we mentor? Should we do gas outreaches? Should we do everything we're gonna do next week in Reach Week? Absolutely, but it is a first step into a relationship with Jesus. It starts with meeting a need, but it cannot stop there. We cannot just make ourselves feel better because we help somebody. How many times do we walk by and throw some change? How many times do we serve on a weekly outreach and then we go about our business? The job is not done. It is the beginning, not the end. We start with social justice so that we can get to spiritual justice because we are not trying to have a physical, short-term, worldly change. We're trying to give them an eternity in a different place. And it will start with meeting a physical need because people don't care 
how much you know until they know how much you care. Come on, they don't care what you're saying until you actually meet them. And we're gonna see in this story that once the need is met, the door is open for the message to be heard. And our job is to do that. So as we go into this next week, reaching, serving, let's meet needs. But let's make sure that we're also arranging the, the meeting with Jesus. That's what happens here. Let's go back to the story. It started with meeting a need. But here's the next thing. It transitioned, go to verse 12. It transitioned to clear preaching. Transitioned to clear preaching. Peter saw his opportunity. Come on, the need was met and now the crowd had gathered. Peter saw his opportunity and he addressed the crowd because I, I need to let you know today that small acts of kindness and intentional kindness will give us access to share this message. There will be an opportunity once we've met that need. This people of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as we've made this man walk on our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate. Despite Pilate's decision to release him, you rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses to this fact. I wanna remind you today, that's what we are. We are witnesses. We're not so much sharing our own story, but we're sharing God's story through our situation, his faithfulness, his goodness. We're not writing a new story. We're sharing what God did in our life. We're, we're witnesses to what God has done. Through the faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you, I love that he says friends there. He just called him out. He said, you're a bunch of murderers. You killed the son of God and then just transitioned friends. How many of you know Peter doesn't have a lot of friends right now? <laughs> friends, I realize that you and your leaders did to Jesus. What you did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Verse 19. Somebody needs to hear this today. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then, after repentance, after surrender, after acknowledgement that we fall short, then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. It started with needs being met, it transitioned to clear preaching. And I need you to know here today that, that this is the same gospel that is still here today, that it was true in the early church and it's true today, that if we do not repent from our sins, we cannot have a relationship with God. And before we judge these Sadducees, these Pharisees, these Sanhedrin, the crowd, too harshly, before we say, I, I would never, I, there's no way that I'd be in that crowd that put Jesus on the cross. I just wanna remind you very, very lovingly, very life-givingly, that you and I have the same responsibility of putting Jesus on that cross as they did that our sins are what drove Jesus to the cross. The Son of God did not go to the cross because he was arrested. The Son of God went to the cross because that was his destination to die for you and for me. And our sin and our insecurity, our pride, our selfishness, to put Jesus on the cross. That is why we all have to repent from our sins, surrender our life, and follow Jesus. 
Just like we read in verse 17 and 18 here, it says, I know that you were ignorant then, but if you're in here at Winter Park, South Orlando, Sanford, Oviedo, or online, ignorance is no longer an excuse. You have an opportunity to say, God, I love you. God, I'm sorry. I repent for my sins. I, I surrender my life to your leading. There's clear preaching that followed, and here's what, here's what happens. Here's what always happens. Always happens when God gets in the miracle business, when God begins to move. Here's verse, uh, chapter four, flip over, verses one through four. Here's the next thing. It resulted, come on, write this down. It resulted in mass conversions, mass salvations, mass decisions. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is resurrection of the dead. They arrested them and said it was already evening and they put them in jail until morning. Can we just pause there for a second? My man Peter and John helped a poor man walk again, then said it's by the power of Jesus and they got arrested for it. Can we stop teaching people that if you follow Jesus and love Jesus, and do the right things, that you're just gonna be blessed and prosperous and have an easy life. That is not in the gospel. It is a dangerous theology that sounds good and makes people feel good, but when tough things happen, they think they fail God or God failed them. That's not in there. The apostles, 11 out of 12, died as martyrs for the gospel. This is not an easy thing. It is free to receive, but it will cost you everything to follow. And we've made following Jesus easy, and that's why when life gets tough, people fall away. I'm here to tell you today that you can be right where God is calling you to be, right what he's calling you to do, and it may not be easy and it may not be great, but God's goodness will get you through it. They, they went to jail for healing somebody. They went to jail for healing somebody. But many of the people, here's the thing, God's playing a bigger game. It's not about your current circumstance. It's about what he's doing in the circumstance for his glory. Here's what happened. They're in jail, but many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. We know the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter one and two, the Holy Spirit falls and 3,000 men give their life to Jesus. Peter's first sermon, 3,000 people get saved. So now 2,000 men have been added because of the lame man being healed, him picking him up, hand up, 2,000 more men, so probably four to 5,000 men, women, and children. So one man, one detour, one, one maybe distraction from where they were going has now led to 5,000 people finding Jesus. It wasn't a distraction, it was the destination. They didn't walk in, check this, they didn't walk in with a story from years ago, from weeks ago. They didn't walk in to preach with, hey, here, here's what I heard about. They walked in to preach with the miracle statement standing right beside him. God had to have the miracle before the message. So here's what I'm saying. Don't minimize. This week, every gas card that's given out, every student that is tutored or mentored, every, every person that is rescued, every unsheltered person that is fed, don't minimize the small intentional acts of kindness. It's not a detour. It's not small. That person may be one decision away 
from giving their life to Jesus. That person may be one decision away from sharing their faith. It could be in the mundane. It could be in the normal. It could be in the often overlooked that God begins to do something incredible. We've seen it. I don't have to, I don't have to read about it. I've seen it. I'm 10 feet away from it. I was talking to Pastor Eddie after the first service, and he reminded me that he was walking into a Publix eight years ago for a family barbecue, not involved in church, and Pastor Jake Lavender gave him a $5 Publix gift card and said, you should come to Action Church. And Pastor Eddie and his family walked through that door, recommitted his life to Jesus, and now has led thousands of people to the Lord. This isn't just stories in Scripture 2,000 years ago. We've seen it. Nothing important about the invite, nothing important about a $5 public gift card that, to be honest, Pastor Eddie didn't need. He was a successful business guy, but what he saw was an intentional act of kindness that brought him into a relationship. Don't minimize your impact. Don't minimize your conversations. Don't minimize the time that you invest in loving people well. Don't see it as a detour or distraction. See it as a destination. People are never a distraction. They are the destination. Mass conversions followed, verse one through four. And then here's the last one. The last one is this. The needs were met, the gospel is preached, conversion happens, but it's followed by immediate criticism. Verse five. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there, along with uh, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. So basically, just gathered all of his boys and uh, had a little group to throw them into prison and to discipline. And they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. You gotta catch that today. Hey, don't walk into Reach Week. Don't go on that mission trip. Don't start that business. Don't start that small group without the Holy Spirit. That's why this fast was so important. But I'm asking you to, Take a risk for God. I'm asking you to love people well, but please don't do it on your own. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Isn't it amazing how people will criticize and tear down even the smallest acts of kindness? Do you want to know how he was healed? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. And let's just stop there for a second. Jesus is not a way, he is the way. This is not a multiple choice test. It's either him or nothing. It's either take what he did for you on the cross and allow his life, his death, his resurrection to stand in your place or answer for it for yourself. This is not a multiple choice. It's not a bunch of different paths to heaven. It's not I'm gonna be a good person. I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna do more good things than I do bad things. It's what are you gonna do with Jesus? There's salvation to no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which he must be saved. The members of the council, come on. They were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They had boldness because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They had boldness because they 
had a relationship with Jesus. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Thank God that he uses ordinary people. Come on, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to have the most experience in the room. You don't have to have the most education in the room. All of those are important and should be sought after, but what you have to have is a divine encounter with the Holy Spirit and with the presence of God. You have to receive Jesus and no special training. They, they recognize them, get, get this, they recognize them as men who had been with Jesus. Could that be our prayer? This week as we go out in red shirts, man, that church doesn't have it all together. We're full of mistakes. That church doesn't have all of the answers. We're still searching for some. But can we just be known? I don't, I don't know what it is about the red shirts. I don't know what it is about that that church but they've been with Jesus. Nobody would love me like they love me if they didn't love Jesus. Nobody would serve me selflessly if there's no strings attached. They just have, they've been with Jesus. Can that be what they say about you and your family and your business and your life? It's, there's nothing. Can they stop saying that you're impressive and just say that you've been with Jesus? Can they stop saying that, oh, look how talented they are. I don't. I don't know how talented they are, but they really love the Lord. Let's stop making it about us and let's make it about, about Jesus. What we can do is measurable. What he can do is immeasurable. Let's stop settling for measurable personal giftings and let's say, God, I wanna be filled with the Spirit and spend time with you. But since they could see the man, I love this part, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. That's how we get past the criticism. That's how we get past the negative. That's how we keep moving forward. You cannot argue, the man is right here. He said, God doesn't do that anymore. I, I, I wanna go with you there, sir, but I have proof right here. God's not a healer, we'll show you next week he is. God's not a restorer, we'll show you next week. He is. God's not a redeemer. God's not a breaker of chains. We'll show you it's, you can't argue. I got, I got it. Didn't just read about it. I've seen it. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with them? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, they have the miracle in front of them and they still say they're spreading propaganda. These men would have been the men that crucified Jesus, saw him resurrected, and they've seen Jesus resurrected and this man healed and they're still saying it's propaganda. People spreading fake news and fake stories is not new. They're calling it propaganda and the man that was laying was standing right there. This is fake news. No, it's, my man is here. So they called the apostles back and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we've seen and we've heard. That's the statement. Our God is too good to not believe. So when you come against it, when you speak against it, when you move against it, you say, you can't do that anymore. We can't stop and we won't stop. You say, Pastor, you, you're not making a difference. You're just, you're just throwing money at things. That's what we get. You know, every time we do a gas outreach, we have Christians pulling the gas station. You're just bribing people to come to church. Yeah, 
Guilty. Somebody's eternity isn't worth $5 to you? What are we talking about? Can't stop. Won't stop. 30 minutes, you really gonna make a difference in a child's life 30 minutes a week? Yeah, sure am. When they don't have any spiritual authority figure in their whole life in 30 minutes a week, we're gonna invest in tutoring and mentoring because we love them. We're gonna let them know that there's a way out of their situation, a hand up. You think a, a lunch or a dinner three times a week for our unsheltered community is really gonna make a difference? Yeah, somebody's thinking about them, praying for them, consistently showing up for them in a world that has forgotten about them and thrown them to the side that we're gonna be there every single week, praying, remembering their name, inviting them to church, asking them what they need. You think that's gonna make a difference? Yes, I do. Don't minimize it this week. Don't minimize it in this season. How God has been so good to you, we can show that same goodness to others. So I was preparing this message and thinking about everybody sitting in the room. You may, you may not be Peter or John in this story. You may not be in the crowd in this story. You may not be one of the ones that got, got saved and you're ready to go on mission. You may be the one today that's in need of a miracle. And I just wanna remind you that this man waited 40 years and 40 in the Bible symbolizes a period of testing, trial, and then triumph. It's mentioned 149 times in the Bible. It's another story of God showing it may take a season to endure and persevere before you get your miracle. Some of you have disqualified your miracle though because this was a miracle of circumstance. This man had nothing to do, had nothing to do with his lameness, with his paralysis. Sometimes we can believe God easier when it's a, uh, Miracle because of circumstance, something that happened to us. But I wanna close briefly because I'm out of time. But sometimes we disqualify ourselves from the goodness of God and the miracle of God because we don't need a miracle because of a circumstance. We need a miracle because of a decision that we've made. And I just want you to hear today that God's goodness does not stop in your badness. He loves you. How do I know it? John chapter four, the woman at the well. Jesus went out of his way, made no geographical sense for him to go through Samaria that day, none. But he met a woman at the well. She said, I cannot be worthy. He said, I know. You've been married five times and the man you're living with now is not your husband. He met her there, they had a conversation. She met Jesus that day and he said, go, go tell people. We don't have time to read it in John 4, but thousands of people got saved because one sinful woman had an encounter and changed her life. There's no lame walking, no blind seeing, no resurrection of the dead. Just a simple conversation. Miracles don't have to always be majestic. There are miracles in the mundane. The miracle was not in the, the bigness of God, the greatness of God. The miracle was in the goodness of God that he met somebody in their sin and their shame and said, I still have a plan for you. That's for somebody today. You feel like you've been disqualified from being used by God. You feel like you've been disqualified from the goodness of God or the greatness of God because of your mistakes. And I'm here to tell you today, you are one decision away. You may have made a lot of bad decisions, but you are one great decision away from coming into a relationship with Jesus. And I don't know what's gonna happen. There may be some consequences to your bad decisions. He's not gonna remove all the consequences, but he will walk with you through every single one of them. And that's what you're exchanging. Doing it on your own or doing it with a God who is just 
He's too good to not believe that he can see you through any situation. Would you bow your heads at all of our locations, every head bowed, every eye closed. I wanna close in prayer today. We've presented what Jesus did for you very, very clearly today. So I won't take the time to, to summarize. I believe the Holy Spirit is, is moving in your life. And for some of you, today's a day of salvation. You're, you're gonna repent and you're gonna believe. Others of you, today's a day of recommitment where you say, God, God, I need you. I've left, I've, I've wandered, I've, I've doubted. I've tried to do it on my own. And today I'm recommitting my life to you. So if it's you today for the first time, by recommitting your life for the first time in a long time, you say, I want a relationship with Jesus. I wanna make him Lord of my life. I'm repenting, I'm surrendering, I am following him. If that's you today, across all of our locations and worshiping online, would you raise your hands? I know I'm praying with. I need Jesus in my life. I'm making Jesus the Lord of my life. I got one, two, three, four, five. Right of you right there, a couple. Six, seven, eight, nine, 10. Probably 12 and 15 in here. Come on, Sanford. God is moving in your auditorium right now. South Orlando, Oviedo at Haggerty High School. Come on right there in your home. That sees you. He's proud of you. We're honored to share this moment with you. You put your hands down. Would you pray this in your heart? As I pray it out loud today, say something like this. Say, God, I love you. God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I'm saved only by your grace. And I am confessing with my mouth and I'm believing in my heart that you are the Lord. God, I gave you that place today. Complete and total control. Have your way in my life. God, I pray for all of us. God, I pray that we would meet needs this week. And I pray if we're in a situation where we need some needs met, I pray that there'd be a divine encounter with you, Holy Spirit, with people that would encourage us, that would help us. God, I pray that we'd see the needs being met as an introduction, as an opportunity to preach the message of Jesus. And God, as a church, in this season that we would focus on what you've done and what you're doing over what anybody else is saying. We can't stop and we won't stop telling about all that we've seen and that we've heard. We love you. We praise you for what you've done today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody at Action Church said amen and amen. Church, can we celebrate all the decisions? Come on, really celebrate them.